Certainly a joy a Sunday morning, isn't it, to come together even as we are, to appreciate the blessing of God on our behalf that permits us the health and the other attributes of life to come even as we are at this time. Good to see each and every one with us today, and glad that things are with us as they are, that we could pour out our heart in adoration and praise unto the God of heaven that made us, and who is certainly deserving of our worship. We've already had such a powerful opportunity to sing and to pray, and the songs in which we have together sung have been truly moving and compelling very, very much. The lesson text this morning, as was read in our hearing just a moment ago, takes us to the fifth chapter of James. If you would, be turning to that location, and we will, in fact, give some attention to that powerful pair of verses that you and I will note here in just a moment. This opening slide is one that basically sets before us the issue of really what was last Sunday night's lesson. At that time, we had questions and answers. But one of the questions that was asked was one that I thought sufficient in time that it would really demand a lesson of its own. And so in a way, this is really based upon one of the questions that was asked that could have been included last Sunday night. In just a moment, I'll read that question for you and allow you to think about the nature of it as we proceed to look into the character of this, of this particular lesson. Verses 14 and 15 read again like this. And the prayer of faith, I'm sorry, verse 14, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. A number of questions could easily be asked about that, and that was the source, the character of those that were asked as a part of the question. But you might immediately notice there's a reference in this, that when someone is sick, to call the elders. You may also notice in this that there's a guarantee of healing of the sick, verse number 15. And furthermore, you'll notice that even a forgiveness of sins is mentioned. Now, all of that's very intriguing and certainly worthy of our consideration. And so with that, let me move us into at least a consideration of the context and prepare us to think somewhat carefully about the information that's there shared with us. First of all, some basic information about the chapter itself first. The book of James encourages upon us, as you can see on that slide, an amazing feeling of endurance. Now, you and I realize that in the life of Christ, we are not able to simply give up, regardless what circumstances come our way. The tribulation that may surround them, or the challenge that may be involved with them. James encouraged the readers of his day, and you and I know well that circumstantially there was much difficulty, sometimes due to those that were Jews, sometimes due to those that were really just in the Roman Empire. Regardless, do you note easily with me the statement that's made in verse number 8? Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now there, he was even speaking about the coming in terms of what could be an element in punishment. Even in that circumstance, they were admonished to you be patient. And the idea is of perseverance, endurance. In fact, you may notice in light of those particular statements, 
verse 10 refers to the prophets in the Old Testament. Those were precious souls indeed who often found themselves in dire circumstances because of their commitment to the Lord. He said, you have an attitude, a mentality not unlike the prophets. You may notice in particular, there's a reference made in all of this to that endurance that's specifically needful for them and for us as well. Verse number 12 goes on to put it like this. Watch what you say. Now, you and I know well, again, that what we say can often be easily interpreted as a powerful defense of what we claim to be, or it can, in fact, be a strong militant against us. James thus commented, you make sure your, your speech, your language is as it ought to be. It is with that, now we come to verses 13 and following. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. So the first thing that you and I should do is when afflictions come, challenges come, misfortunes come, rely upon the attitude and the attribute of prayer. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. May I say that when things are going well, may we never forget to be thankful. Because you and I know that to sing psalms carries with it the thought of being thankful for that which we do have. I think Brother Gary mentioned that this morning as a part of the announcements. The reminder then that even when we find things going well, it might well be tempting then to forget about the Lord. That's the last thing we ought to do. Even in those moments, let's be sure to be thankful and to in fact let that be known unto God even as we sing hymns of adoration and praise to Him. But then that brings us to verse 14. These are the more challenging parts, really, of this passage. Is any sick among you? Now, we've already noticed two questions were asked. Verse 13, if anybody's afflicted, this is what needs to be done. Furthermore, verse 14, is any merry? This is what ought to be done. Well, by the same token, now we come to verse 14. What about in times of sickness? Maybe it's fair to say that the idea connected here is surely going to be a useful one because we're all acquainted with the frequency of sickness. But you'll notice as it goes on, I've asked you to notice a few things on that slide. You'll notice what was said. One who is sick should call for the elders and let them pray over this person. And mention is made of anointing the person with oil in the name of the Lord. Now verse 15, it is asserted that the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Would you note the guarantee? It didn't say might save the sick, could save the sick, perhaps will save the sick. It said shall save the sick. Not only that, if he've committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Now all of that's intensely interesting. So much so that, again, our comments of the remainder of the morning will, in fact, relate to it. And so I've put together a few observations that I hope will be helpful to us as we begin to appreciate some of that which is stated. It begins like this. You may notice that verse 14 begins, Sickness is immediately mentioned. Is any sick among you? 
one of the first things it would seem to me that we should at least appreciate is that there is going to be sickness even among the followers of God. Faith and belief in God does not make one exempt from sickness. It does not make one exempt from accidents or other things that might be debilitating to the body. There could be diseases. There could be frailties. Again, there may be accidents. Maybe this is just one way of reminding each of us of some of those comments on the slide. Can you think about some of those mentioned in the Word of God who themselves were devoted to the Lord but yet found themselves in times of sickness or found themselves in times of challenge physically? I've chosen just a very small subset. No doubt many others could have been named. Well, what about Hezekiah? The Old Testament will remind us that at least for much of his reign, he did that which was right in the sight of God, and yet... A very serious illness came upon him, so much so that Isaiah was told by God to go and visit him. Set thine house in order, Hezekiah, for thou shalt die and not live. This was a terminal illness. Hezekiah immediately prayed to God earnestly and intensely. God heard that prayer and gave him 15 additional years. But do you notice? He was sick. It was Isaiah who, in fact, applied some kind of remedy to that circumstance that at least made it somewhat better. But the point is, Hezekiah was a sick man. What about the Shunammite son mentioned quickly in our thinking in 2 Kings 4? You and I recall, too, death came to that boy. Now, you and I recall Elisha raised him to life. But isn't it amazing? There was sickness in the Old Testament. What about the new? You recall Peter's mother-in-law. She was a sick woman in Matthew chapter 8. Isn't it true that we could quickly remember Dorcas in Acts chapter 9? Her sickness led to her death. She died. Isn't that interesting? You and I should then not be shocked or surprised if sickness were to come our way. Maybe one final observation would be this. Among those listings there, I've mentioned you, Epaphroditus, in in Philippians chapter 2. You remember Paul himself said, For his service and dutifulness to the Lord, he was nigh unto death. It almost killed him. It almost brought about his physical demise. And yet, so many of the things contained in that chapter remind us of such a commendation of of that man. I would say this, what about observation two? With at least the thought of sickness. Did you notice in verse number 14, mention was also made of prayer and oil. Now, let's give some attention, if you would, to especially the issue of both prayer and oil in this, in this particular point. We aren't shocked, I think, at the mention of prayer. For notice, one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible connecting to this subject occurs in the very next set of verses, verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And therefore, you and I are quick to pray for those that are sick, including ourselves. We will beseech God's blessing for an improvement in our health and those that we know and love. Those who have asked us for their prayers in that regard, we too are very quick and dutiful to pray for them because we believe in the power of prayer. 
Now, it's always the case that we will beseech the God of heaven under the banner of, if, thou, if it be thy will. Because, in fact, this very book of James, back in chapter 4, would, was quick to remind us, if it's the Lord will, we shall do this or that. James 4.14. But at the very least, we do believe in prayer. And we are quick then to pray for those that are sick physically. Isn't it true, though, we'll also pray for those that are sick spiritually? Those, again, whose heart is not right with God. We, under the appreciation of the case in which they are, are very earnest to pray that they too might come to realize what's needful for them and make those appropriate changes in life. But isn't it interesting that the latter part of verse number 14 does say this, Let them, note that them refers to the elders, let them pray over him, the him being the sick person, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So at this point, please think with me about this. It's rather common when someone who is ill, they may well call for the preacher. Might I say, at least back at that time, James gave the observation, call for the elders. Call for those gentlemen who, again, as the delegating authority over that congregation, call for those gentlemen. Now, isn't it interesting in that light? You and I will need to ask, would it be wrong to call the preacher? Would it be wrong to call another brother or sister in Christ to be a part of that set of prayers? Well, certainly, we believe in the power of prayer as we noted earlier. But there's a few additional thoughts that need to be noted. And the next one is probably the most troubling. The elders were to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Would you be aware, as you appreciate, it doesn't say what kind of oil. So, do our elders here at Pippin know what kind of oil is supposed to be used? My suspicion is they don't, because the text doesn't say. Now, clearly, whatever was under discussion here was something that those elders knew about. In fact, James didn't even need to go into detail. They already knew it. Whatever the oil was under discussion was an oil with which they were familiar, and they understood the nature of that which it could bring about. As you keep that idea in mind, at the bottom of that slide, I've asked you to note a few additional references about oil in the Word of God. It perhaps begins like this. Oil was frequently used in various ways, and I've listed just a small sampling of them. Sometimes the oil was used in a rather symbolic way. As, for example, when a person was anointed king, often oil was used as a part of the anointing process, as was true, for instance, with regard to David back in 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel chapter 16. But it's also true that oil had a medicinal characteristic and usefulness. For example, in Luke 10, 34, you recall well the scene there wherein that particular person who in traveling... You and I remember what happened to that man. In traveling, thieves came upon him and robbed him and left him half dead. You and I often call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. But isn't it true the Samaritan poured in oil to aid, at least in some way, in regard to the healthfulness of that person's injuries and the healthfulness, again, of that which he had been afflicted. But notice oil was used at least in that connection there. 
Here, I wonder what particular place the oil had. At the bottom, I've asked you to notice, here it would appear that the oil was completely symbolic. I say that because of what occurs in the next verse. Verse 15 says, The prayer of faith shall save the sick. So what saved the sick? It wasn't the oil. It was the prayer. Now, as you keep that in mind with me, that's only observation two, and yet so many others are yet to come, not the least of which is this. The language that now appears is very demanding. It says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. There is presented an assurance that there will be a recovery connected to the one who is ill. This person will get better. Now, you and I know today that doesn't seem to be the case. Quite often, despite our prayers, even prayers of elders, a person who is sick might not get any better. We've all witnessed it. We've seen it. We've experienced it. At this point, notice some of these comments. God here, through the writing of James, presented this powerful statement of assurance almost what one might recognize as an element of a guarantee. But all of that takes you to the bottom comments on that slide because there's one additional thought that goes right with it. It says, If he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Now question, can an elder forgive a man's sins? That power has not been given to elders. It hadn't been given to anybody on earth. You and I recognize, you see, that sins are against God. We're told that many times in the Word of God, but surely one principal passage would be 1 John 3, 4. Sins are against His will, not man's will. That being said, you and I realize that when this guarantees the forgiveness of sins, it is not within the purview of a man, even an elder to pronounce the forgiveness of sins, separate and apart from what the will of God is. For that reason, one of the last points on that would be this. You and I know that in the places of the Word of God, there is much discussion about what's involved in the forgiveness of sins. Things like repentance, things like confession. I've invited you to note just a few passages such as 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, as well as 1 John 1 verse 9. So isn't it true that we cannot take this passage and lift it in such a way that it contradicts those other ones? All of God's Word works together. It's harmonious. It presents one single and beautiful truth. If there's no Bible contradictions then, how do we revisit and look upon this in such a way that it might have an element of completeness to it? And that takes us to slide number four. The miraculous healing of those that were sick was something that happened then. And we understand that as we read various passages in the gospel accounts, and even in some of the later New Testament writings, those kinds of things happened. We understand the way in which they happened. Wasn't it true that Peter frequently healed those that were ill? And that was after the Lord had died and had even ascended back to heaven. Do you recall in Acts chapter 9 that general statement made where many were brought to Peter 
And he, by miraculous means, working the nature of God, was able to heal that sick person. Could it be that something like that was at least a part of what the discussion is here? Well, among those things, we might well note this. What was the purpose of miracles? Why was it that God permitted them to take place during that particular place and time? Let's read a couple of verses to solidify that thinking in our mind. In Mark chapter 16, we'll begin there. But in that chapter, all we're going to do is read this one and one more, and I think the point will be evident enough. But listen to what the Lord said in description about miracles. Beginning in verse 17 of Mark chapter 16, "...and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover." So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. It is commented there very carefully that as they worked these signs, the miracles as you and I would call them, they were confirming the word. The whole point, the idea was to confirm that which the God of heaven had re- delivered and revealed to them. What about Hebrews chapter 2? With that particular statement made, listen to this one. Hebrews chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Hebrew writer makes this description. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will." So one more time, isn't it true that the purpose of the miracles was to confirm the Word? Now, once the Word was confirmed, and once it was authenticated, if you will, then of course the purpose of the miracles was no longer evident. It was no longer needful. And for that reason, those miraculous capabilities passed away. 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about that at length. As you and I close that particular slide, May I suggest then we can put all of this together, perhaps in a way that will shed some powerful spotlight on James chapter 5. Let's do that in the course of this slide. So, so far we've highlighted the calling of the elders, and they were thus commanded to pray over those that were sick and anoint with oil. There was an assurance given that the sick would recover, and if there were any sins, they'd be forgiven. Now, we've discussed those at least briefly. Now, what about this? So let's revisit some of it in a little bit more elaborate character at this point. If anybody's sick, call the elders. With the anointing of oil, personal recover. So that brings you to the top of this slide, it seems to me. Here we appreciate that in the midst of this activity... 
there was an assurance of recovery. May I ask, this appears to have been rather notably limited. Limited in at least two ways. Look at the first one. Would you revisit the idea of Timothy with me? Now we know James is written by James. Timothy is not mentioned here. We do know, however, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that Timothy was sick. And he labored in a congregation that had elders. Why weren't those elders called? With their prayer and the anointing of oil, why didn't Timothy recover? Interesting question, isn't it? Let's try again. What about Trophimus? He's mentioned in 2 Timothy as a man very sick. He was left at Miletus, a place that there was access to elders. Why weren't the elders called? So that Trophimus could quickly regain his health. Good question. So keep in mind, we have a number of instances in the New Testament where saints, Christian people laboring in areas where there were elders, and apparently this was not followed. We have no reference there were any elders called, oil applied, and the sick was not better. One has to wonder why. Could it be that these details of James chapter 5 were for a specific geographical area? and that they were in connection to the miraculous capabilities available then. Now, if that's so, that would certainly be at least a reasonable interpretation, and it wouldn't contradict anything else. I would also ask, what about Dorcas? In Acts chapter 9, you and I recall that this, this Christian woman, who had been known for so many good works and deeds, she died. Now, the fact is, Peter was called... And the fact is, later Peter was an elder. Was there no access to elders that could have been called to have prevented her death so that she could have been prayed over with oil applied and she would have been healed? Again, doesn't it seem as if the words in James were not meant for everybody for all time? Maybe one last comment would be this. If this were true and lasting in character, then... How could any Christian ever die? Anytime any one of us got sick, we ought to call our elders, have them pray over us and anoint some oil, and we'd be guaranteed to get better. It looks like if this were absolutely applied, no Christian would ever die. But we know that contradicts Hebrews 9.27. It says, "...as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment." It seems then that this was not intended to be a lasting and broad consideration for every Christian in every place and time. It appears to have been limited geographically to that space and time, those to whom James wrote. And you may recall back in James chapter 1, he specified those to whom he wrote. Given that kind of observation, let's close that slide like this. These statements that were written by James were clearly extremely meaningful for that particular area and place. Would you now put all this back together and say this? So if anybody is happy, or in fact, if you're in that position, you make sure to sing psalms. If you're afflicted, make sure to pray to that group of people who may have been surrounded by those who were not believers and may have been surrounded by those in doubt. 
that congregation, that group of believers was told this, if anybody's sick, you call for the elders, you have them pray and anoint with oil, and the sick will get better. Now that was connected to that miraculous age in space and time. And once that age passed, of course, the essence of this is no longer directly for us. What we rely on is not this explicitly, but the power coming from others, because other verses tell us to pray. Other verses highlight the beauty of that essence and what can be accomplished with it. We saw Paul and Peter and others who would involve themselves in prayer, and you and I believe in it. But we don't anoint with oil in the same way they did. Now, we appeal to doctors and use medicines, and we make use of ointments and creams and other things that will provide us with aid. But we do not think there's any miraculous character to those ointments and creams. In fact, we're sure that the nature of verses like this in terms of miraculous character have just identically passed. We trust in the will of God. And we do believe that if it's the will of God, He can bring about healing. And He can bring about that which is right. As you and I close that particular slide, let's address that one final point. We've cast a strong spotlight then on the nature of the recovery of the sick. What about forgiveness? It was also said in verse number 15 that if the person had committed sins, that they would be forgiven. Now, we've already learned what that involves. It demands repentance. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness. Jesus taught that in Luke 17. We find other passages that teach us about the power of that necessity. Would you recall with me Acts 17, for instance, verses 30 and 31? as Paul preached with such dramatic thrust at that time, he himself directly said, speaking about repentance, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And so, based on that passage, as well as the passage or otherwise found in later parts of the New Testament, we realize that repentance is required and the confession of sins is required. So this was not in any way saying that those elders by themselves and by their own power could grant repentance. But those elders, just like you and I would do today, if a person comes forward making acknowledgement of sins and with a heart of penitence, those elders can happily lead a prayer and do so with the realization, you see, that God has forgiven, but it's not because of the word of the elders. It's because it's what the Bible teaches. Because God says those are the terms of His forgiveness. Isn't it interesting then in light of these presentations in James chapter 5 that it brings us to a statement of conclusion? As we wrap up, if you please, our lesson this morning, we have taken upon ourselves to consider James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And there is a great deal of beauty in this, as it weighs upon your heart and mind to realize that though we do not live in the time of miracles like they did, and though we do not appeal to miracles like they could, we still recognize that so many passages urge us to be prayerful, 
to be those who depend upon the nature of God's power, and we beseech His aid as we pray to Him. If you and I have sins, they can be forgiven. Now, you and I realize the miraculous character of some prayer will have nothing to do with that. Because as in other verses, we realize easily that the sweetness comes with the prayer of the faithful. Today, we'd be delighted to make assistance in any way we can to any erring child of God. A person who, upon reflection of your life, realizes that your life isn't as the God of heaven would want it to be, because at this point you're not living faithfully according to His Word. We'd be delighted, in fact, we'd be happy to make acknowledgement of your repentance and of your confession and to pray unto God. It's also true that if one who has never become a Christian, again, God's terms He lays out in the Bible, He has a plan. We often call it the plan of salvation, but isn't it a great plan? And aren't we so thankful we know what it is? It would surely be one of the most miserable existences to know that you're lost and to know that God has a plan, but you don't know what the plan is. But God's told us. Jesus summarized the beginning and ending of it in Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It'll start with belief. It'll be prompted by that. And as it moves to completion in the elements of baptism, that person is submerged in water for the remission of sins. And what a beautiful sight it is to see that person come out of that water to a new life. Not just physically wet, of course, but cleansed of sin. 1 Peter 3, 21. And that cleansing character means whatever the situations of life may have been to that point. With those terms met, those sins have been forgiven. They are no more. The guilt of them is wiped away completely. That surely, in terms of a new beginning, is one of the grandest teachings in all the Bible. It reminds us of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, doesn't it? As we close this lesson and our time for our sermon today, I hope we've been moved by the thought of James chapter 5 to realize that those brethren back then, though their identical circumstance was not the same as ours, some of the principles you and I have access to just like they did. Today, if we could be of some assistance or help in any of these ways, won't you come while together we stand and sing the selected song?